Welcome back to the Overload Podcast, I'm Harry Mitchell and today we have a special bonus episode for you. Our editor, Jordan Midler, virtually sat down with Danny O'Dwyer, creator of the crowdfunded video game documentary outlet, Noclip. We're all huge fans of Danny's work, uh, Noclip was actually a huge inspiration for us starting up Overload, but Jordan has been following his career back to very early days. They talk about the huge new surge of support that Noclip has had after a recent drive, Danny's game career journey, and also his thoughts on the state of the games media industry today. We'll be back on Wednesday with the usual babble, but for now, I'll pass you over to Jordan Midler and Danny O'Dwyer. Danny O'Dwyer is the creative force behind Noclip, a Patreon-funded video production company that specialises in some of the best video game documentaries around, combining the personal stories that developers have always wanted to tell and unprecedented access Noclip has been setting and exceeding the bar for crowdfunded video content for almost five years. Before Noclip, Danny worked for GameSpot, originally in the UK before moving to San Francisco. A long way from his roots in Waterford, Ireland, Danny shot to the forefront of a new wave of video-based personalities with his plucky Irish charm, wit and dedication to telling stories about games. I've been a fan of Danny since his days making The Point, an opinion show for GameSpot in the vein of Charlie Brooker, a mutual hero of ours. As Noclip finds itself having just received its biggest injection of funding since its launch, I sat down with Danny to chat about the future of Noclip, his entry into the industry, and where he sees his place in it now. Danny O'Dwyer, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Jordan? Thanks so much for chatting to me. Thanks for chatting to us. When it comes to talking to people that have done the Patreon thing and gotten out of the mainstream kind of loop of games coverage, you are like the top of the list to talk to. So having this happen so quickly is um, fantastic. I think the first thing we need to talk about is No Clips 2021. How how has that been? It's if we'd done this this conversation like a month ago, it feels like it would be totally different. Yeah, it would have been a lot of like dreams about what I wish we could do, and now it's kind of what we can do. We had our sort of best ever funding drive. We, you know, got probably 40% growth on our Patreon, which for a small team that runs as close to the budget as we do um, is monumental. It means that there's more hours for the rest of the team. It means we can tackle basically twice as many projects with the editing pipeline. So it's fantastic. We're we're chewing through edits at the moment. We've more coming out than uh, you know ever before, and we're also sort of being a little bit more dangerous with the types of projects we take on because we have that extra flexibility now. That's great. I mean, I I saw when you were putting up the posts about what No Club was going to become and the kind of relaunch as a patron. I was like, great, love it. I, I increased my patronage. But then when I saw you on Twitter being like this is going crazy this is so much more uh this is so many more new patrons than we've we've had in x amount of time what do you think the catalyst for that was and i know you said that a lot of old patrons came back what do you think made them decide to do it now I feel like you can probably answer this more than me almost, right? Because as somebody who supports our work, you understand why you do it. So to understand that, you have to understand why people don't as well. Um, I think there's just an inherent, you know, Patreon in and of itself is a barrier to entry, right? It's it's a, people really need to be sort of convinced to put their credit card on anything, rightfully so, you know, especially these days with with so much uncertainty in, in terms of the job market and, and everything else. But I think perhaps the reason we had this sort of um, uh, overflow of support, I think it's two things. I think, quite frankly, our video that we put up on YouTube scared the crap out of people, which was not intentional. I wasn't trying to... I think it sort of was a bit more foreboding, like 
I think the thumbnail was like what happens next or you know the future of Noclip which immediately looks like oh we're shutting down we've been bought out or there's going to be ads on everything I don't know so people watched the video we had really high retention on the video which was a big part of it and then I think we don't often ask like we have a you know, bumper on the front of the videos that is sort of our staple that says the name of the company. And then, you know, now it has this little splash screen that says, you know, join us. And then once the video starts, that's, you know, it's all about the game we're talking about. We, we don't overload the videos with reminders of people to, to support our work. And we're, you know, happy to do that because we want these videos to be as clean as possible. So in 20 years time, when people watch them, uh, they're sort of, they retain their context, right? So I think just coming out and asking for a lot of viewers for the first time in years reminds them. And, and when they have that, when a moment like that happens, when suddenly lots of people are joining and lots of people that you can feel the, the momentum and the movement, I think as humans, we want to affect the world. And I think when you see that, it's happening, then your patronage feels like it's stronger. And in a way it is, right? Having that immediate growth in such a small period of time. You know, I'm constantly future thinking. It's like a problem I have. I'm always like planning things. And I didn't have plans for what happened. So I had to, it took like a week and a half for me to figure out exactly what this meant for us on a medium to long-term basis. And do you, th- do you think you have that now? Is the, is the roadmap a bit clearer or is it still kind of seeing where the dust settles because you obviously don't know if this is like one big spike and then it'll return to kind of where it was or if suddenly it's just going to be like this over and over again and you're going to have like 10 offices you're going to buy a mall like epic did (laughs) god i hope not could you imagine i just all i what would i do then my job would just be you know just you and jeremy running around this mall with those scooters like one half of it's an edit bay and the other half of it's like a shooting uh, situation obviously it's you and jeremy that have done the majority of the stuff you've got frank as well working with you guys is that something that you think that was like top of the list in terms of getting more people involved because i've heard you on other podcasts saying that you want to grow to like a four or five man team like is that something that's a bit more realistic now yeah i think like four or five people would ident would like ideally be where i'd like to see it at like year 10 or something but i don't think we're there quite yet um especially when it comes to the sort of, you know, so much of this hinges on my ability to be on top of the work that we're doing. And a growth spike like that would, I think, rattle me. And at the moment, I'm a bit of a linchpin for the whole thing because I do basically all the external comms and I edit 90% of the docs, right? So I think I over years, I would prefer to get better at delegating and get, you know, find my niche. And and ideally, I think, like, I'm just really lucky to be in this position and I would like to bring up other voices, right? Because Patreon's really tricky. It's it's, it's a a type of thing where good ideas sometimes don't get funded and sometimes bad ideas, but with people who have known internet uh, audiences might actually do pretty well, right? So I think I was in a lucky position where we had a good idea and also I had, like, a decent audience coming from my time at GameSpot and jumping in on stuff like Giant Bomb over the years. Um, so it kind of all worked, right? So I think uh, that's kind of what I'd ideally like. But honestly, the number one thing to do was to give the rest of the team a bit more stability in the amount of hours and time we could do. Four and a half years of Jeremy and me working together and 
to be able to like have him have a more skin in the game creatively is really cool um uh he does a bunch of freelancing he's the type of guy who doesn't really want a nine to five he you know goes out adventuring and his uh well his rv got nicked last week but he before what, it got so nicked, he, and steal, getting cars stolen honestly i know i had my car stolen last summer as well it's just the east bay man here in <laughs> oakland california it's 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 rough out there lock up your car put a put a chains on it you know, he left GameSpot because he didn't want to be held down that way. Our working relationship at Noclip really works because um, we have on weeks and off weeks, right? We have like busy editing and shoot periods and then it goes quiet for a while. So that's how it worked. But I think after four and a half years, you start to like, you know, this is the gig that he enjoys the most, I think. And it's the gig that is most creatively satisfying for him. So to be able to expand and give him more uh, stability and more work is really cool. And then Frank as well has been doing our community stuff for two years. Um we just need more community stuff like we we have that's been something i've been not very good at doing for the past four years and i think we have a real opportunity um to harvest a, a great little community over here so those were the sort of main things and i think generally the where we're going i have a way better idea it's like a cone it's like i can see which you know it's it's not all the way closed yet but i can see kind of where we should be and yeah i sort of have a new baseline i want to aim for it used to always be stay over four thousand patrons and now it's stay over six so we'll see how uh, we'll see how that goes time will tell it felt like it was due like every time you said on the kind of the patron only shows that things were like on a level and on flat it never really made sense to me because the stuff just kept getting better so it, it just it seemed like this was going to happen at some point but for it to all happen at once it must just be i can't imagine what your email inbox has been like like over over that time because you get the notification when someone joins your patreon it oh yeah it's a nightmare going yeah wild. it's it's a beautiful nightmare it's great so you get but but yeah it's i and patreon broke for the first four hours of it so i didn't get any of them and then in the space of 10 minutes i got like whatever it was a thousand of those little pings we actually sent out a like a secret video to the eight thousand people who used to be patrons so uh, you know the eight thousand people who over the course you know it's four and a half years so it's that you know it's it's actually not that many but we have pretty high retention where you know our, our folks are incredibly loyal um but it was just kind of like a it was it was like yeah of course i am asking for you to come back that's why the video is about but like first of all let's talk for like six minutes about how we really appreciate um that you gave to us and that we never get to talk to you because like we have a pipeline for youtube audience and we have a pipeline for current patrons right we do our patron show but we didn't i i never like there's no way for me to you know eloquently reach out to people who used to fund us and they're like really important <laughs> because they kept the you know the wheel spinning for years and years and years so it was cool we got to put up like a fun video and then we had like one of the most interesting youtube comment sections ever on that video because it was a bunch of people who had like reasons why they left so we just hashed it out and it was like it was really interesting it was everything from like you know oh you know we had we had kids and we didn't you know and then this happened and you know and it's awful in a way because it's like you don't have to give excuses like it's you, you owe us nothing but it was a really like honest you know between that and like people angry because i said something on twitter or you know so it was it was cool because i was just like open about everything and we all chew it out and uh it was a lot of fun so yeah it's been a wild couple of weeks of emails and dms and comment sections and just reacting to the various uh ways in which people want to reach out and like i said we're a small team so you know there's only one of me kind of holding all the gears on this end for that stuff so it's been 
It's been a lot, but it's been good. It's it filled me with confidence rather than trepidation. And I think when I launched Noclip, I felt a lot of expectation, and now it feels more um, more positive, more uplifting. Noclip's obviously a huge success, but I want to go back to the Citizen Game days. I want to go back, <laughs> all the way back to you on YouTube running about in what I presume is your back garden dressed up with AK-47s and putting that stuff on YouTube. Oh my God. I just wanted to get your kind of experience of breaking in to the UK games press at that time. Because obviously it's changed in the kind of the span of time that you've been in it, but the mechanics for someone that doesn't live in the kind of London bubble making Mm. it big aren't that different. So what was your kind of experience back then? Yeah, it was probably similar to a lot of people on the British Isles who uh, want to break in, where it's kind of, you know, pack your bags and, and head to head to London town. Um, so I grew up in the southeast of Ireland. I think that was literally the first video I ever put up on YouTube. We actually, that was for a PC gamer Alienware PC competition. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> which we won. So Fantastic. there are screenshots <laughs> of that video in a, in a PC gamer, which I have like... I remember buying two, or I bought one copies and an ex-girlfriend of mine bought another one. And then I ended up spilling, I don't know how, but I ended up spilling milk all over the first one. So thankfully she had the, Celebrating the just pints of milk over the top I know. of it. Irish people are crazy, man. We just drink milk all day. I was living in, I'm from the southeast of Ireland, a little town called Waterford, but I, I was in Cork and then, um, and I've been making websites um, since I was like 14 and I had like a little company in my hometown and I love making websites. I thought that was what I was going to do forever, but I wanted to work in games after I watched all the GameSpot people in the US actually over here. You know, uh, on the spot and like what would have been like Jeff Gersman and all those dudes before they the giant bomb. Um, and I knew that there was this one dude called Justin Calvert who was a UK, uh, a British dude who um, worked in the San Francisco office. And so I was like, okay, so he figured out a way to get there. So... I've backwards sort of, I think I talked to Justin. He's like a mate of mine now. It's really weird. Um, and realized that how he did it was basically he worked for GameSpot UK. And I was also a fan of theirs. It was like this back in the day of, you know, uh, Guy Cocker would have been the editor my whole time I was there too. Um, but he would have been sort of front and center there. Um, Alex Asun, Kobe, a lot of those folks. Um, and uh, I knew he made the transition that way because it's kind of tricky to get an American uh, visa. So uh, I applied for a job. I almost got it while I was in Cork. They flew me over for an interview. They hired someone else. I think that person lasted three weeks and was a bit of a weirdo or something. So they got rid of me. And this line uh, of work, I can't believe it. I know, yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? Applied to a load of jobs at GameSpot UK, never got them. Applied for a web development position at CVG, which I was really underqualified for. So I rightly didn't get that. <laughs> and also, I think I dodged a bullet there. I had some friends who worked in that office and not sure it was the best spot maybe i think i was two weeks away from moving to uh uh dubai with my then girlfriend um and i got a email from GameSpot saying we have a position <laughs> so i was like so come buy a playstation portable today sure it costs a month's wages but if the games are bollocks you can always watch porn on the bus i didn't really know anyone in london um i had a bunch of friends 
on the GameSpot UK like forums, or I guess just the GameSpot forums, and they just so happened to be in England or in, in Britain because one of the guys was in Wales and Swansea, a guy called Mark, and, and I didn't know where any of these people were. And then one of them was a dude called um, Tamor. I didn't know that was his name. His name on the GameSpot forums was like some anime reference. It was like Orichimaru Sama or something. I had no idea. So I posted a blog saying or something I was going to London, and then he was like, I'm in London. He ends up living like one tube stop away from me. I lived in Stratford and he was up in Leytonstone. So, you know, went to meet, didn't know anything about him, I, you know, and then he came up, invited him over for, I think I invited him over for drinks or something. And like, Tamor is a practicing Muslim, so he's never touched a drink in his life. So he's like, I've never seen, never seen an open drink in his life. And I'm like this Irish guy in London. So like the, what my main hobby is probably going out and getting smashed, right? So we, we had no... There would have been no way for us to really meet or be friends, I think, outside of the context of the fact that we both really love games and we both had like a desire to maybe work in the press. Um, so that's how me and Tam kind of um, got together. And Citizen Game was basically a, a, a CV. It was like a way for a bunch of us who kind of had dreams about working in the games industry to get published work somewhere. Because this is like, kind of pre-YouTube or early YouTube, but like pre, I don't know, Tumblr or like medium blogs or anything, right? So if you wanted things on the internet, you had to have a website. And I was a web developer, so I just built us a website and then we started this thing. And the thing got like, it had like a small passionate audience, but didn't get that much traffic or anything. But it was a place where everyone could point. And over the years, a bunch of them got work. Tomorrow's one of the first ones. He worked at CVG and then a couple of other places, GameSpot UK. Now he's the, like one of the head haunches over here. He's my neighbor again. He lives in Oakland. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Like life is a is a joke. Like it's so, I'd, I'd like distanced lunch with him a couple of weeks back where we um, sat in a park 10 feet from each other and talked about how weird it is. Um, and then, yeah, just other people like Lucy had, um, I think by then she had come down to the London to do an internship with GameSpot UK, I think. Um, and I interviewed her in a video I did on GameSpot about like mental health in games before she was yeah there. And I, I don't know, man, it was just like the same as anything. There was enough people there. You know, now it's like, you know, the two or three people who sort of got in are the ones that we talk about. But there was loads more of us who didn't, who didn't, right? Who Folks who I still keep in contact with and some I don't, who found other passions or, you know, it wasn't for them or went home or did something else. You seem to come into, like, GameSpot when they really first started doing kind of personality-focused video stuff, the stuff that, like, Jeff and that crew left to do Giant Bomb and they were kind of like catching up on that side how did you feel like you had quite a lot of control to shape that type of content because i remember your stuff was it was very it, we've, we've spoke about this before as well very charlie brooker inspired very opinion right, show based yeah. stuff like did you feel like there was a really good creative time there where you could just kind of do what you want because no one had really set the rules for how personality video content was to go not just a game swap but really at GameSpot UK, because we were such a smaller outfit, and we are kind of stuck in this proxy war, like, as individual, um, you know, uh, uh, people who worked there, employees, basically, where there was kind of two little proxy wars going on. There was kind of a war between the UK and the US a little bit. Or, like, the UK side was really trying to prove itself, right? Because the thing about, like, satellite offices, as you probably know, is that they 
they're always kind of worried about getting cut. You know, you're always worried that someone on a line item in the main office will go snip and then suddenly eight people lose their jobs, right? So you're really hustling. And we had a, a video boss there who's now the video lead here in the US um, who was really good at empowering us to make good stuff. And then also, I think there was a bit of a proxy war within GameSpot UK between the editorial department and the video department, right? Whereas video was always like a sort of a... Um, support team almost for editorial you know where you'd had an editor doing a review the video team would make the video review edit shoot it and edit it but they wouldn't write it right you know so they hired um there was a couple of people who were there before me um johnny chiedini who just launched his own patreon a few days ago seb ford who runs a, a double jump which is a production company now in london um and his cohort cam robinson uh fellow scott um him and me were hired on the same day and basically the sort of group of us were essentially like hired as video producers who could also write, which was not really a job that existed much in the games press before because, you know, video people were basically like IT people for cameras, right? <laughs> or for editing. So I think that's where I came into it. Whereas like we were given a voice, right? And we were uh, encouraged to make more editorial focused stuff that we wouldn't need the the writing team for. And I think... He also hired people who were confident in front of camera or had something to say. Because sometimes, you know, a lot of editors are hired to do like incredibly difficult work of writing. And they might not necessarily be the type of people who want to be in front of camera. It, it's not like a one-to-one, right? So I think because of that, we ended up um, feeding off of each other. And there was a maybe a bit of competitiveness. I don't know if it was competitiveness. I think it might have been just like support between the different video producers. And we all got better in such a small period of time. Like I'd never edited much at all. I, you know, I'd never used like a proper cine camera like that. Um, so I was really lucky to be thrown in with a bunch of very uh, giving and cool and talented video people and then also like the best thing ever was that once you got this video you put it up and it went on like the front page of like the biggest video game website in the world or like on any given month that was IGN and GameSpot basically which was insane and with that power of course I wanted to make the weirdest shit possible because like how weird would it be to like do a video on I think the first one I did was a history of Deus Ex just for shits and giggles or and like and just weird videos on like which now is like so boilerplate but the idea of doing a video on like a 15 year old game and putting it on the front page of a website then was just like what are you what are you doing what a waste of time I want to hear about the latest FIFA or Madden or Call of Duty so it was just like, it was such a fun time to be really weird and wacky with the type of um, videos that we did. And, and the cameras we had were really good. And it was just like, no holes barred. Yeah, so it was a great time to be there. I, I think that's that was like a really exciting era to be watching games coverage as well. Because it, the, the typical review preview cycle was getting really, really dull. So to see all these people that were like, just like you, like there was like an aspirational level because it wasn't tv production it was like it was like that level between youtube and tv kind of so it it felt like at least to me watching stuff like that is like okay that's the goal that's 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 the the role i suppose the same way that when you were like writing into on the spot and then suddenly you're like on the giant bomb couch on unprofessional fridays like i I think about that i'm just like 
this industry is so weird you're only ever like two steps away from the people that inspired you to get into the industry and i wish like i lived the other reality of this for for because i you know i was trying to break into the industry for like it was seven or eight years maybe and by the end right or like six or seven maybe but i i was like i came in with actually like kind of a bit of a chip in my shoulder because like a lot of folks got it got in in their early 20s or something and i was trickling up into my late 20s before i think i was 20 like late 20s like 27 probably right before i before i got in or maybe maybe a little bit younger now um which is nonsense right because i've now been in the industry for like it'll be 10 years in a couple of years so i'm i'm old hat at this stage i had a lot of frustration and you know I don't know bitterness but just drive like to the point of the detriment of lots of other parts of my life like I think I didn't find time for myself until getting married and having a kid and like even now I'm still you know I always talk about this with people where it's you know I'm really lucky to be in this position but I also like did it at a fairly high detriment like it's all I cared about day in day out for years and years and years and years and I think I wouldn't recommend people necessarily do that either because i'm i'm also one of the few people i feel are very lucky people who were in this position who's still in it because it this industry does tend to like even like once you get in like the the the, as you know like the entry plan to get in is really important but what's almost as important is the exit plan to be able to like find a way to get out before the big corporation you eventually end up working for chews you up and spits you out, you know, which I've seen to happen to so many of contemporaries who are far more talented or far more experienced than I do. So you just need one of those Andy McNamara roles where you're in the same job from like 1991 (laughs) until you're eventually like, okay, now I'll go and do EA. Like, yeah, I wonder if consulting now. Yeah, Um, yeah. exactly. Get all that Patreon money, hit the withdrawal button, and then just be like, okay, (laughs) this happened quicker than we thought. Let's let's boost. Yeah, see, like, for me, it's like, the drive has always been, you know, I lived paycheck to paycheck for most of my life. Um, The years in London, especially, were hard, because there was some pretty rough times back then. But, like, you know... I definitely ha- don't have the financial anxiety I did for a large part of my adult life. Um, but the reason I do this isn't isn't that, and the reason I would like progress what we do at NoClip isn't that. It's that I think now, especially after four and a half years of doing this, I was expecting loads of people to. I was like, oh, we're going to be the first through the wall. GameSpot and IGN and all these other places will basically follow us. We'll have other YouTube creators doing it, and we've there have been some. I'm not saying that we're the first people ever to document video games or anything like that. Of course not. But, like, there's a certain ethos or style that we use that is kind of different and new and fresh. Um, and I expected more people to be doing it by now, and they're not. And it's because this stuff is really difficult to make. It's, like, mentally taxing. It's hard to get the access. Um, and it's expensive. And I think if the, the triangle of that is hard for any one person to get. And now it's kind of like, oh, maybe I'm like just really lucky to be one of the few people who can do this. So we have to keep doing this and we have to like see how far we can grow it and where does it get too much and where where is the sweet spot? So for me now, it's it's not really about like, I don't want to settle into my old, I'm not saying Andy McNamara did now, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to settle into a role and, and, and do this. Like I want to, the reason I, now it feels like basically I found myself on a bit of a rocket ship and I want to like see how far into space we can go. 
um, read or watch much game coverage these days, or is it just not your thing? I do. I don't as much as I did when I was in the press because when we were... I actually, and weirdly enough, now that I've been sort of doing a bit of fill-in work on uh, Giant Bomb's podcast again, um, I'm actually more doing more of that now than I was before. And it's because, like, the, the um, I guess, view cone that I have now needs to be a bit more moment-to-moment and contemporary, whereas when we were doing documentaries on Noclip, they tend to be about games that have been out for a year or maybe more. So I wasn't so in the mix but yeah yeah i totally do I, I i probably read a lot less than i used to now i watch more video um than i do uh but that has more to do with my um inability to read well than anything else i've uh i have a bit of a an ocd kind of nature to me so i find it hard to read a lot of stuff especially on screens magazines are always my thing have you checked out any like because there's been a bit of a kickstarter revival of people doing magazines there's like a really good nintendo have, switch have one most of them been in the uk because yeah because to me yeah well to me like magazines like over here they talk about egm and game pro and all these types of things but like you know at home i have like racks and racks of pc gamer you know i remember brooker and pc zone like yeah you know between edge and like there's literally a stack of the modern edges right there like every month it drops through and i I sit and read it and i look at all the art and i'm just like there's just something more satisfying to this than just clicking publish on an article like there's i really like the the, like just holding something and being like this there was a lot of work putting into this and it was also like back in the day before everyone was on the internet and before there was a lot of coverage of games this day-to-day coverage of games it was like your monthly update on what's going on with games you know you went yeah and i went down to the local bookshop in my hometown and it was the one connection i had to the games industry was this magazine that would come in you know once a month so i'm not surprised there's a revival in the uk because the to, to me the heart and soul of games writing when it comes especially when it comes to magazine type stuff is in britain and like you see it here with like the the amount of writers that ended up coming over here to work in the the written press especially you know folks like gary witta and you know yeah. even like the the amount of u.s journalists who would have op-eds in edge because of <laughs> course they would because where else would you you know what you what u.s magazine would would post like back in the day like i used to read n guy kroll in the back of edge it's like it's incredible like yeah i'm, I'm delighted to hear that it, there's a there's an important sort of history there yeah it, it's it's nice to see it's, it's it's kind of a it's a weird industry over here right now where it's like there's still at the top of the tree you still have like your ign uk's and your euro gamers like the kind of future and read pop like big corporation websites and they they seem to be doing pretty well but there's also like a really strong kind of independent undercurrent where people are just like it probably shouldn't be two companies that control all of the media all of the games (laughs) media in the uk so that's kind of like that was certainly our attitude because i mean it's not as if we come from a hugely independent background like my day job is the bbc is literally the establishment (laughs) but it was just that feeling of um it felt like there needed to be some kind of sea change because it doesn't feel like there's really been one since the leap to personality-based video like that feels like the last huge moment where everything changed and everyone had to adapt and it feels like something like that's coming again and if i knew the answer i would have a billion dollars but what what do you think that next what do you think the next move is tell what's the next move give me a business plan here (laughs) (laughs) well like for i i guess i talked about the problem that there was with patreon right which is that as much as it works for folks like me or Noclip, 
which Noclip has a sort of inherent feeling of um, games preservation to it or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're not a charity. Like I, you know, people often ask if we have tried to, you know, go down that road and, and like, I guess we maybe could as well. Maybe we'd pay less taxes or something, but like, at the end of the day, we're a video production company or, you know, we don't do any contract work, but like, you know, we, we're a company company. America, you know, you got to be a company. Everyone here is a company. The problem, of course, is that it's difficult to drive um, uh, viewership, right? So it's, or patronage rather. So it's weird. I think YouTube still has the power to drive audiences, but I think on the issue where it gets messy and I think where YouTube kind of falls short is that it's difficult, I think, to... Um, build uh, local audiences sometimes. Uh, and I think the UK is more used to that type of local market than the US is. And that's where a lot of the tech comes out of, right? So like, you know, your Scottish audience is going to be different to the North of English, sorry, North of England, to London audience, to, you know, the East, to the Welsh, to Ireland, to Northern Ireland. We all have our own sort of like little pocket, right? And some of that stuff becomes universal, like, um, you know, Consylvania, obviously, is the one that comes to mind for a lot of, like, you know, non-Scottish uh, uh, video game lovers, right? Like, that type of thing that bursts through. But when it comes to Patreon and when it comes to crowdfunding small little enterprises or magazines or zines or small local newspapers... YouTube doesn't really have the mechanisms for that, for getting it in front of the right people. So what... So I don't know, because what it does is it forces sort of like smaller British-based um, organizations or news organizations to sort of play the, the national game or the international game. And that is inherently less interesting. The thing that's interesting about that type of reporting is that it's small and it's local and it's for a small community. And we within games that works around certain games, because you create communities around, you know, Roller Coaster Tycoon or Dishonored or Call of Duty or FIFA or whatever it is, the, the smallness and the community feeling of it comes from the topic, not from anything to do with locality. And Noclip falls into this a little bit too, right? Video producers who like video games, it's already a little bit siloed. So it's difficult to give the per, to have the perspective be the the thing that's local. Um so I, I I wish I had an answer, but but I really don't. <laughs> Gonna have to put some effort into this. Now. That's so disappointing. I just I just assumed that I would come on here and you'd be like, right, here's how you do it. Three hour long let's plays. That's it. the watch time will be astronomical and you'll be fine. Um, before I, I let you go to play with your fancy new camera that has been looming over your shoulder oh, yeah. this entire time, um, cost more than my car. I think it's more money than I have seen in my entire life. Just sitting behind you, it's very, very jealous. Do you ever assured now, thankfully. Does stuff like like when you get stuff like that in, do you ever have that moment of just like this costs an astronomical amount of money? Yes, but not with not with money, with access. Oh with yeah. The stuff that sits on my hard drive. Like <laughs> the like last this time last year we we showed gameplay of an unreleased Half Life game. That like <laughs> nobody really knew about as well like it was so unreleased and so unknown that people didn't really know knew that even the game existed like nothing had been out and then we put up like you know a whole we did an hour and a half long video about arcane 
And then in that, because that's the thing as well, we're assholes. We could have made like a 20 minute video. Here's Half-Life Raven Home with like a Half-Life Raven Home thumbnail. But we're like, no, we're going to make you watch a fucking 90 minute documentary about Arx Fatalis and Dark Messiah Mountain Magic before we get to that. That type of thing where suddenly, you know, I have a hard drive in my hand that has this thing that like we got and we got no one else got before us and i don't know who would get it after it because the people who are working on this game are slowly leaving the company over years right like when is this story ever going to get told again right so that type of thing that that's when i go holy shit um and uh, to be honest like our hard drives are still full of more stuff because we have to you know such sometimes as, when it comes to that yeah we have to like <laughs> there's a bit of like uh compromise that goes on there you know yeah. so i feel like eventually there'll be like a dead drop or something when uh, <laughs> when no when i die when i my my heart stops beating it'll like upload all of the nonsense that we've accrued over the years that we haven't been able to show um to the cloud i don't know something like that well before i let you go danny do you want to plug everything that you're doing right now yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Jordan. I really appreciate um, the time. Oh, any time. Um, Talking yeah, about any... Citizen Game. I mean, come on. Where, where hey, else look, are you going to have this conversation? UKs. All stock code UKs have to stick together. You know what I mean? Citizen uh, Game <laughs> is available. It's £180, but citizengame.co.uk is available. So I let it lapse about, I think it was a year or two ago. I The, the site ran for years after I left. I handed the keys over to some uh, very talented people and, and they kept it going. And I used to check in on what they did. Um, but yeah, sadly, the thing about web developers is eventually you just have to not renew the domain because then you just you just have these like 60 domains that follow you throughout life. Um, yeah, you can catch all our stuff on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash noclipvideo. Uh, we have documentaries on probably a game you like by this stage it's been four and a half years uh, if you're watching this if you're watching this there is about 10 documentaries about games that you're like intimately familiar with what's what what were some of your ones you 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 tell them what ones they should watch so the the doom one it was your second one but it's an all-timer for me the final fantasy one is the only thing that frustrates me about the final fantasy one is sometimes i like to loop them in another tab like ones i've already watched as a podcast but obviously final fantasy is like almost entirely subbed a lot of japanese that was one where i was like how did you even get into square that is very very impressive and also hades developing hell that that would be the one that when you're actually fully done people would still be like here that hades documentary you got very lucky on that that it happened to you like a 10 out of 10 game (laughs) it was so right we could not believe the last two episodes you should have seen the 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 like uh temp script that i had for some of that stuff were like how are we going to finish this arc on the six part series and we had this whole idea and then episode five of course was all about the pandemic because that just came out of fucking nowhere and then episode six yeah it was oh wait this game got game of the year on ign <laughs> this game sold who knows how many like insane yeah so we've loads of stuff and it's all ad free and you can go watch it on youtube and yeah it's uh hopefully there's something you can enjoy and get to know game developers a little bit better maybe create some empathy between gamers and devs that's kind of the hope um it's a noble ambition well yeah we'll have to we'll have to or keep work there's work still left to do jordan work still left to do Support for Overload is provided by our incredible patrons. To support us and receive access to perks and exclusives such as Patreon-only video series, check out patreon.com overload or click the link in the description. Thank you.